Yeah, and you have those nutrient sensors actually along your intestine that um, will sense that there are nutrients in food and relay that to your brain. So we even have, um, they found that you have glucose sensors in your stomach and there's specific receptors that will actually increase the levels of, you know, dopamine and rewarding chemicals in your brain, but this actually is at the level of the gut. And welcome to episode 152 of the supersetyourlife.com podcast, your weekly dose of entertainment, education, and inspiration to fuel your life inside and beyond the gym. We are joined today by Calvin Scheller. He is a 17-year-old NASM certified online physique and nutrition coach, blogger, podcaster, and major carnivore success story. At 16, he had to get on testosterone because of hormone imbalances caused by being vegan. If your health is a wreck, I'm sure that he will give you some hope. Proverbs 27:17 teaches iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Conversations with other coaches like Calvin keep me learning and growing. Calvin, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, man. I love I love all the content you've been producing, so I'm I'm kind of glad to be here. Oh, I appreciate it a lot, bro. Uh, so what caused you to go vegan in the first place? Yeah, so um, I, I've always been, not always, but uh, around the age of 13 or 14, I picked up podcasts and um, I really fell in love with just listening to podcasts. And unfortunately, I don't I don't think I got the right podcast um, right off the bat. So um, I was always interested in sports. So then I got a little bit interested in nutrition. And, um, I was actually at that point, I was, um, I was pretty overweight. I wasn't, you know, morbidly obese, but I was definitely in the obese category. I think I was a bit under five foot and I was probably around 140 pounds ish. So I was a larger kid. Um, and I really wanted to lose weight. So I decided to get on, um, or just to search up different health podcasts and on YouTube and unfortunately, the first podcast that I found was, um, I, I hate to say his name, I'm not saying it was, you know, this guy intentionally, but I found Michael Greger's podcast, um, which is a pretty, um, pretty popular vegan who is all about just eating basically nothing but vegetables. Um, and so I decided to do that. And at the same time, I learned a little bit about fasting and Again, all this information is great for someone who needs to improve their health. They can, you know, for a period of time, while I don't really agree with the vegan stance, for a period of time, it can be helpful for someone who is much older than I was and um, probably in a much worse state of health. But for me, it turned me into basically a lot of fasting and a lot of basically trying to find the least calorically dense foods possible. So. Basically, my days consisted of green leafy salads. That was about it. Um, that I think the sweetest thing I was eating was a carrot. You know, like wow. it was just it was just. Um, and I, in the back of my mind, I was like, "This is exactly what they're telling me to do." So um, I stuck with it, even though all of the. Again, looking back at it, I can see all of the terrible digestive symptoms I had um, at the time. I actually started to, so I was eating so many carrots, I started to get an orange tint to my skin, 
<laughs> I've, I've heard because, that can actually happen. Yeah, and it's likely because I wasn't even converting all the inactive vitamin A in the carrots, so it was kind of building up subcutaneously. Like, um, so, but I kept going and I lost a lot of weight. And I think one of the reasons I stuck with it so long may have actually just been at that, like those few years are kind of a blur to me now. And I think it sounds crazy, but I think the nutrient deficiencies that I was likely developing and just the lack of nutrition um, was probably doing a lot to my mental health that I can't even, again, like I can't even remember anymore. Um, so the period between 14 and 15 is kind of a blur. I can't remember why I continued doing what I was doing or, um, quite honestly, I'm not sure if I remember the whole story correctly. Um, <laughs> Bro, okay, so I, I'm, I'm laughing because I can relate to you. Um, the, the couple times yeah. that my testosterone has been tanked has, has been on, uh, has been on bodybuilding competitions on a high carb diet and my fats were, were low. So I was getting all my energy from carbs and wasn't taking my hormones into consideration because I didn't know enough. And I was just like you. And I was just listening to it. I was just listening to every podcast and every YouTube video and, and, and just going, okay, if they say it with confidence, they probably know what they're talking about. And I didn't do my own research like you did. And I can't remember anybody's names that I've met before and after those shows, bro. That's, that's how out I was um, fr from, from those shows. So since then going to more meat-based shows, um, Obviously, that has changed. My testosterone never really tanked the way that it did the first time. But anyway, sorry to cut you off. I just wanted to say that uh, I, I know exactly how that feels. <laughs> yeah, no, don't worry about it. Yeah, my um, my testosterone, I will say. Um, so I was, I was 15 at the time. And uh, when I got the test back, it was undetectable. So they have a reference range between um, five nanograms per deciliter and i think the top of the reference range was a thousand um and that is typically like if the detectable level and mine was under the five nanograms per deciliter so it, technically it most likely meant that i literally was not producing any testosterone whatsoever um you know you're it, kidding they, me I've, I've, I've never no, some, I've, I've never heard of it being that low that's outrageous you're, you're free you're free yeah, as like at your age should be like uh what like over a thousand right um at that age so going through puberty it should have been extremely high um yeah. at that point in time there's an increase in testosterone production to facilitate all of that so at that point i should have been probably in the thousands um or at least at the very high end of the hundreds um and then for someone who's diagnosed for trt replacement is typically below 250 and Anyone that's been at 250 knows that doesn't feel quite too well. But I was, um, it was a little odd. I, at first, I couldn't even interpret the blood work because Jeez. it was, uh, you know, a less than symbol in five. And I was just so confused. And I realized that talking to my doctor, they, they, they couldn't detect anything on the blood test. Um, and then we got it tested again because I was, I was very skeptical of that because I'd never heard of that before. And we got it tested again. And I think I was in maybe the 20s. Um, so it definitely was correct, unfortunately. Um, but wow, so I yeah, had because my, mine got as low as 80, and, yeah. and, and and I and I felt like absolute garbage. And if you were lower than that, my word, yeah. And I had to at that point get on. Well, I think I wish 
I never got on testosterone replacement. So obviously it was an endocrinologist. So his first thought is put him on, um, you know, some sort of hormone replacement. And yeah, they're doctors. That's what they're supposed to do. Right. Yeah. And unfortunately it, while it has so much, so many implications in endocrinology, most endocrinologists don't actually ever even ask about nutrition. So I was never even asked about what I was doing in like in the kitchen. Um, so at that point, I got directly on testosterone replacement therapy. And looking back on it, I am extremely upset about that because I definitely could have made the positive changes that I needed to. Because um, I think within the next few months, I actually began learning about the entire process and um, all of the things that I was doing wrong. And I changed it up within a few months. Um, started feeling much better, but I was still on this testosterone replacement. So unfortunately, once I got on, the likelihood that I'll be able to get off is very minimal because um, especially correlating and corresponding with me hitting puberty, the I likely just completely shut down my entire endogenous production. So it's likely that I'll end up on testosterone for um, a good period of time. And my goal is to work with, throughout the next few years to find out a way to get off of it. Oh, wow. Sorry about that. To find out a way to get off testosterone, um, but we'll see if that's a you know a logistical thing. And unfortunately, because I'm so young, there's a peak dosage that they'll give young kids, and that's about uh, 100 milligrams every two weeks. So I'm taking 50 milligrams a week at this point. Um, so unfortunately, that's only keeping my testosterone around between three and 400 and they won't go any higher, which I understand is kind of a legal issue. But so right now I'm kind of sitting at that three, 400 range. Um, so it's for better, you know, it's much better than sitting at zero, but I'm still kind of suffering the consequences of um, kind of the bad decisions I made when I was younger. Have you, have you looked into any, anything PCT wise? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, at this point, I don't think um, the endocrinologists in my area are the the best to talk to about that. But also, so with everything that occurred, the timing that it occurred was during puberty. So there's a chance. I'm not quite sure. So we'll have to find out soon. Um, I'm still taking the testosterone at this point. And um, if, if possible, I'll have to talk to some family members to see what you know, and uh, the actual doctor in order to try and stop and, you know, um, return natural production. But there's a chance that because it all occurred during, you know, the time that I was hitting puberty, something may not have developed fully or correctly. So stopping the exogenous testosterone may just have some negative implications there. So it'll be something that I'll actually have to get continuous blood work done while I'm stopping the testosterone just to make sure that, you know, my follicle stimulating hormone and my luteinizing hormone, all that thing, all of those things are functioning as they should be. And you'll probably just like titrate your dosage down really, really carefully. And then if anything looks wacky, bump it back up kind of as needed, huh? Yeah. And uh, unfortunately it takes the drive to get blood work is about 45 minutes. So um, while I'm I would like to, if I can, get as much blood work done during that period of time just to monitor things. But mm -hmm. um, it definitely is a period of time that once I'm out of high school will be much more easy. 
uh, sorry, much easier. Um, so I'm just kind of waiting to graduate this June and then um, that process, at least during the summer, um, having a little bit more time will make it much easier to get all the blood work that I'm looking for. Yeah. Yeah. And then I guess that mo- that moves kind of where we're, where we're going with this conversation, but I'm sure that your diet is structured in a, in a way to completely optimize your body's production of your own natural testosterone. And so that hopefully that just kind of wakes everything back, w- wakes your boys back up again. <laughs> And then uh, gets get, gets everything you know working working properly before you even think about get getting off get, getting off of that dosage because that's probably just like keeping you alive right now, really. Yeah, absolutely. So um, yeah, currently I'm um, I wouldn't say I'm a strict carnivore technically. Um, so I uh, I definitely add in. I mean, it's not crazy. It's a lot of actually like citrus vegetables, uh, citrus mm-hmm. fruit. Um, like lemons, limes, and some oranges. Um, but other than that, it's a lot of eggs, specifically egg yolks, obviously. Um, those are like the first thing that I added back in. That and actually liver. Um, those are the first things that I added back in. And it's almost night and day difference. Like I could I feel like, not obvious. Yeah. Uh, so, so I was going to say, I, I, I feel like everybody, when they start the carnivore diet, they think they have to eat liver like right away. <laughs> But it's yeah, it's, it's it's good. It's not essential, but um, I like I like it personally. Do you do you do it raw or do you cook it? Uh, I got lucky, so I actually really like uh, liver. So I cook liver just to um, make sure. So I'm buying everything from Walmart. So I just cook yeah. it just to make sure because I don't know how how trustful everything is. So um, <laughs> I'm not, I definitely am not converting to raw raw carnivore or anything like that. Um, at least not from the foods I'm getting from Walmart. So. Yeah. Um, but I do a ton of eggs and I cook liver, which again, I got lucky. My taste buds really like it. So a lot of people are completely grossed out by it. Um, but I, I really enjoy it. So it's not a, it's not too crazy of a thing. Um, so every day, at least for my diet, it's really kind of always structured around. I have eggs every day just because there's so much nutrients packed in them and, um, really the, the risk of overdosing on anything in an egg is very, very minimal just because all of the nutrients in an egg are pretty, um, pretty even and pretty like there's no, especially for liver, like if you're eating lots of liver, you run the risk technically of something going on with your vitamin A status. Vitamin um, A, yeah, or, but really with eggs, there's not really anything that um, I'd be too worried about. So I definitely structure my diet around eggs. And then I just add in other proteins as I find fit. So, um, you know, chicken, steak, other things like that. And then That's brilliant. I also really, I also really enjoy, so I make my own gelatin actually. So I just buy unflavored gelatin and um, some people may not like it for it, but I use just a very small amount of stevia. Um, so it ends up taste, tasting like a vanilla gelatin. Um, so I love to use oh, that yeah. just as, as a way to, especially before bed with the glycine content of it, it definitely, I've noticed the difference between eating that and not eating that on my sleep. Um, not that I have poor sleep without it, but that it definitely benefits my sleep a little bit. And that's Gelatin? my presumption. Yeah. So my presumption really? is um, the, the glycine in it is, um, that's why someone would take uh, magnesium glycinate before bed to improve sleep. Um, I'm not sure. I couldn't tell you the exact neurochemistry off the top of my head, but um, that glycine will 
glycine itself is actually a neurotransmitter that can help with inhibition. So it's kind of like um, just a relaxing chemical, if that makes any sense. So the yeah. glycine content in there is definitely helpful, I think. Wow. That's brilliant. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, I've, I've been um, lo looking at, I've been taking a real clip, uh, close look at my own magnesium supplementation and um, pretty much across the board, all types of meats I'm finding are pretty high in magnesium in, in particular, just straight up steak, even more so than liver and other organ meats like heart. Yeah, and we're finding a lot more more of the data is saying that um, because of the soil that a lot of the plants aren't really um, that high in magnesium anymore just because of the way that we're farming things. So um, the all the plants that are supposed to be very high in magnesium end up being not so high. So um, a lot of the times that's, that's where people fall victim to having to supplement with magnesium um, just because they think they're hitting their magnesium targets. But um, it really is dependent on like the soil that a plant grows in, how much magnesium is in it, because obviously you can't absorb a nutrient that's not present in the soil. So, um, and again, with just the way that we've been farming things, it's not always the healthiest practice. So a lot of times the soil just isn't that abundant in magnesium anymore. Mm -hmm. And then, then you got to factor in, what kind of phytic acid or oxalate content is in that plant that you're eating in the first place too, that might have more magnesium. And then is that, is, is, is that adding magnesium or is that really just taking it away because it's coating it up because it's toxic. And so that it can pass through your system, best case scenario or worst case scenario, end up with a, with a kidney stone. Right. Absolutely. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen a study with phytates and zinc where um, they gave the same amount of oysters. So I think it was like 120 grams of oysters. Um, and then they gave it alongside just a flour tortilla and they could actually measure the zinc absorption and the, the flour tortilla literally turned the zinc absorption to zero. Um, but so the group that just got the oysters had just pretty normal um, zinc absorption. But when they just, all they had to do was eat the oysters with the tortilla and the phytates in the tortilla just completely stopped all of their zinc absorption. <laughs> no way. That's a, that's incredible. I, I might have to send that to you to put in the, uh, just the link. So I'd love to people for people to read that study. That one was, um, I was writing an essay on like the carnivore diet itself. And, um, that was one of the most interesting ones that I found. Dude, I wish that I knew this kind of stuff when I was your age, man. It took me forever to figure this out and it was all trial and error. Um, but just, just like you, I think you just figured it out way quicker than I did. <laughs> yeah. I wish I didn't have the brief error period, but that really sparked the entire, you know, luckily I think I started my education while I was in school and I've always been really good in school and I've always gotten my work done really quickly. Um, so I've just always had a copious amount of time just to finish an assignment and I'm not one of the kids that really likes to get on my phone. I kind of get right on PubMed a lot of times, just yeah. looking through all that stuff and then listening to podcasts like yours and other people who are providing a bunch of insight. Like I think I have playlists that are all like college lectures um, that I just throw on every once in a while once my, you know, once I finish my work. So I think I have a, an odd, um, you know, passion for just learning. So it's always, Luckily, it's a fun process. It's not something that I have to force. 
you're, you're, you're like me. Yeah. If I'm not learning or doing something creative, um, I'm, I'm dying inside, you know, it's what, it's what, it's what keeps me going. Good for you. Man. Yeah, actually, I want to, I just thought of this. I want to come back to that testosterone topic we were talking about. Yeah. Because so I recorded a podcast on testosterone today. And after doing a lot of the research, I think I might actually have kind of uncovered the reason why, um, not only is low testosterone correlated with like a poorer cognitive function, but also kind of that correlation between testosterone and anger. So it appears that really what testosterone does is it binds to the androgen receptor mm-hmm. and this androgen receptor sits inside of the cell and will bind to the nucleus so or bind to the DNA inside of the nucleus. So all it really does is it increases protein synthesis. Um, so whatever type of cell that it is in will increase the proteins that are functional for the cell. So it can, it, there are definitely androgen receptors in the brain on different neurons. So it, the way that um, the neurons communicate is through the receptor and those are made of proteins. And then to actually create the neurotransmitter, you need, to, you need a bunch of different enzymes that are made out of proteins in order to create it. And it really seems that testosterone not having this effect on the brain is simply just reducing the expression of all these receptors. So it's almost like your neurons aren't communicating as strongly. Um, so it's, it's almost like a mild form of like dementia or Alzheimer's where you're just not communicating as well. Um, and it's simply because you have less receptors to actually communicate. And one of the big ones they found was um, dopamine. So they actually did a uh, gonadectomy on uh some a, a child unfortunately and they saw that their dopamine transmission went down to almost zero um but when they actually gave them testosterone replacement they completely restored the function of their dopamine system and their reward pathway so it, it's kind of like having low testosterone kind of almost just shuts your brain down a little bit it takes it down a few notches and you're not communicating as well and the way that you communicate is through these neurotransmitters so it's like kind of you know dampening down your brain function and communication and then in terms of the anger thing it doesn't appear that testosterone upregulates um you know only a specific subset of neurotransmitters it's basically all of those neural connections that you already have in place before you would you know get on testosterone replacement all of those neural connections that you have in place it just increases the amplitude that they signal to one another so if you're already a happy person at baseline it kind of just increases your happiness and increases all the that neural transmission but if you're an angry person at baseline which would you know you can't really put a chemical cascade on that it might be you know increased adrenaline what have you but you'll simply just be you know, producing more adrenaline and you'll have more receptors. So you'll be more sensitive to the adrenaline. So it's like, it doesn't actually increase anger or um, increase anything like that. It kind of just amplifies who you are already at baseline and it just makes it stronger. Wow. That makes, that, that, that makes so much sense. Um, See, this was one, like one of the coolest um, things I found while I was researching this, like the, <laughs> I was so excited to put the podcast out there because I think someone, at least I hope a few people will pick it up and think that was awesome. So, 
Hey everyone, Coach Taylor Milton here. Welcome to Skull Bells TV, the official YouTube channel of supersetyourlife.com where you're gonna discover a weekly upload of quick and easy to follow workout tutorials featuring Coach Colt, myself, or one of our athletes to keep your workouts fun, practical, and effective. Our family's latest keto carnivore recipes that fuel Colt's competitions and keep myself and our kiddos strong and healthy. Video uploads of the supersetyourlife.com podcast, now over a hundred episodes your weekly dose of entertainment, education, and inspiration to fuel your life inside and beyond the gym and much more. Last thing before we get into the video, we're asking a big favor from you. This has been working beautifully. So if you would please think of someone you care about that would benefit from this video, go ahead and smash that like button, click the share button and text this video to them. That would mean the world to us. And while you're at it, make sure you hit the subscribe button so you don't miss more exciting content from School Bells TV because our team has lots of meat and lots of muscle coming your way and I promise you won't wanna miss it. When you hit the subscribe button, you'll see a bell icon pop up. You wanna click that too so you're notified every time we release a new video. Thank you so much for the support, it means the world to us. Every like, share, and subscription helps our channel grow and supports our family's hard work. So thank you so much for doing your part too. That's all we ask. God bless you and please enjoy this video. What I've noticed was when I'm in that higher range is just when I feel like mentally I'm banging on all, on all cylinders and I don't feel overly aggressive or anything. Um, when it gets low, when it has been low, I, I find that that's when, you know, just like all those brain fog things that you said, but um, I'm really irritable and, re and, and really, really angry and like real snappy when my testosterone gets that low. Um, and, and, but, but I like the way that I feel like right now, um, can't remember what, I can't remember what it was off the top of my head. I think it was around six or 700, which is pretty good. Um, I'd like it to be higher, but whatever, <laughs> uh, we all got to accept some things as we get into our thirties. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but that's when, that's when I typically, that's when I typically feel the most like myself, I guess. So that's really interesting that you explain it that way. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, there's definitely reasons why have like not eating enough would definitely, despite like not only just the nutrients, you might not, you simply just might not be giving yourself all of the precursors to produce testosterone, but uh, cortisol and glucagon and I believe ghrelin actually, they all kind of stimulate the production of this specific peptide called neuropeptide Y. And this will actually feed back onto the actual neurons that are required Sorry, I had to film outside today. It was a nice day out. Um, but this neuropeptide Y actually feeds back onto what are called gonadotropin-releasing hormones, uh, the, the neurons for this hormone. Um, and this is kind of the signal from the brain to actually start the production of testosterone. Um, and this kind of feeds back and inhibits that neuron. So when you're in a state where you're producing a lot of cortisol and you're producing a lot of ghrelin because, you know, obviously you're hungry, and glucagon is simply just a signal that you're probably burning body fat, then it'll actually increase the production of this uh, kind of peptide. And again, it'll feed back and stop the production where it starts. So you'll basically shut down the entire system. Um, and obviously it makes sense if you look at evolution, all of these things are, you know, not pro, pro growth um, at all. And that's what testosterone is. It really is just going to amplify your, um, you know, accrual of proteins and production of proteins and things like that. So at a period of time where, you know, you have high ghrelin levels, so you're probably hungry and you have glucagon. So 
you're actively catabolizing tissue, you're not going to want to promote trying to retain protein and muscles and things like that. Right. Yeah. When you're, when your body feels like it's overly stressed and it gets into starvation mode, muscle typically is the first thing to go, which is why like on a bodybuilding prep, the, the worst thing that you can do is just start eating less and moving more. And that's what any coach will tell you to do because it works and because it'll, yeah, you'll lose weight. I mean, obviously that's just simple science, right? But to start, but to start a prep by putting yourself immediately into a state of stress, um, you're really shooting yourself in the foot long-term. Best case scenario, you do this show, you look great. And then you, and then you come out of it and you're, then you got a big rebound. That's just, that's just going to happen. I've seen people put on 30 pounds in one month after a show because your body is so starved and it wants to put on anything, fat, muscle, it doesn't care. It just wants to blow up and your ghrelin levels are going to be through the roof and your cortisol is still going to be through the roof because you did something to your body that it was never really meant to do. There's no other animal in nature that gets overweight by accident to the point to where it could actually seriously affect their health, right? Yet we, as a human species, think that we have it in our head that we need to limit how much we eat. No, we don't need to limit how much we eat. We need to eat the right foods. And then if we eat the right foods, then our body, based on our own biofeedback, will tell us how much to consume. And so best case scenario, you do the show and you do good, but you wreck your health. And worst case scenario, you don't even make it to the show because you wrecked your health before that. Yeah, absolutely. And it definitely, so I wrote an entire um, thesis paper for my senior year, um, specific program that I'm in. We required a, I think it was like a 3,000 to 4,000 word essay. So it wasn't crazy hard, but you could choose any topic. And I actually chose to write it on basically the evolutionary psychology of the dopamine system. And through researching that, I came across um, the idea that it really is the environment the food environment that we put ourselves in um, that is causing people to unconsciously overconsume. Obviously no one's consuming food to want to overconsume. Like no one, most people, I can't say, I can't speak for everyone, but most people don't want to, you know, purposefully gain a lot of body fat. Um, if they're trying to gain weight, obviously they're looking for muscle, but because of basically the modern food environment, um, we have obviously this molecule of dopamine in our brain that, it doesn't really activate, it doesn't make us feel rewarded. It actually just increases our motivation to find rewards. And um, unfortunately, the food scientists at the big companies have actually found um, the specific, what they call the food matrix that actually increases your dopamine levels the highest. And uh, these are things like, um, it's a food that has both sugar, fat, and salt in it. So it really isn't, you know, fat that fat that is making us fat or you know we can't say technically it's sugar that's making us fat um and obviously salt isn't making us fat but the combination of those three things makes a food so easy to eat and so pleasurable that we just continue to come back to it and we really don't have any satiation whatsoever um but they also take out all of the amino acids so all like if you look at doritos or something like that they actually have very, very low protein levels just just by happenstance that you eat so much that you hit your protein requirements and get full. So they just make sure that they take down the protein as much as possible. And 
It's wow. like they have they have scientists that are actually like doing this purposefully, obviously to maximize sales. And yeah, I, obviously, it's not, and it's probably not malicious or anything like that. They're just trying to do their job. But it's interesting that they actually have these scientists at these companies that are curating the foods that are basically in immediate access to all of us mm -hmm. um, in a specific way that makes us kind of remember them a little bit more and um, just makes them stick in our brains so that we'll go after them the next time. I don't know. I, I don't know um, what the exact study is or if this is even 100 percent true or not, but I heard that and I, and I and it sounds believable that there's um, a scientist, just like you said, that work for uh, chip companies that make the chip literally melt in your mouth mouth and and so that you're finished with it. And so you have to pick another chip at a specific time and it makes you go through the bag of chips faster. Have you ever heard that? Yeah, I'm not I'm not quite sure. So I know that they add in specific or they kind of curate the texture in a way that it does melt in your mouth. So it doesn't. And it also, the way that it melts, it you, you do have some satiety mechanisms that are like, they're called volumetric satiety mechanisms. Yeah. So basically you have receptors in your stomach that will actually stretch and signal to your brain that you're, you're full. And this is how technically like eating a lot of, uh, you know, vegetables at once, you can trigger this volumetric satiety, but it's not, um, it's not the nutrient sensing satiety that will typically last for much longer. Right. And that's um, why you feel confused. That's why your gut just feels like a wreck when you consume so much fiber at one point. It's just, it's just empty volume and your stomach's like, what do I do with all this? We're full, but yet we're not full because we don't have the nutrients that we need. Yeah. And you have those nutrient sensors actually along your intestine that um, will sense that there are nutrients in food and relay that to your brain. So we even have, um, I found that, you have glucose sensors in your stomach. And if you completely remove taste receptors um, or like in a mouse, you completely remove their taste receptors. They still have the ability to kick the solution. So they either get water or a solution with glucose in it. And they can actually pick out the solution that has the glucose in it, even though they can't actually taste anything because you have specific receptors that will actually increase the levels of, you know, dopamine and rewarding chemicals in your brain but this actually is at the level of the gut and that's why and that's um, why they say I, I i got a gut feeling yeah you do because you you have because you have brain cells in your gut <laughs> yeah so what was sorry you said the uh, what was the study you thought you uh you thought you have read oh yeah it was it was it was it was just what you were saying it was it was it was just there's um there, there's People on staff that are getting paid to figure out how to make these products more addictable and more accessible and to make you eat more. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've seen one or I've, at least I've heard one of the guys who's been in this company in like throughout these companies say that I think for Doritos, they actually change the amount of seasoning that they put on the chips. So like some chips will have extra seasoning and some chips won't have enough. And for some reason, this triggers us to like never feel satiated or never feel satisfied. I think satisfied would be a better word to use it. So like mm -hmm. if we eat a chip that's got a lot of seasoning on it and then we pick up a chip that doesn't have much seasoning on it, we're wired to want to keep eating until we find a chip that has a lot of seasoning on it. For some reason we can't end on something that's, you know, technically lesser than what we experienced prior. Oh so yeah. That's a lot of diminishing to... return. That's just straight up sucks. <laughs> yeah so it's like you're always trying to find the 
the best chip, like it, let's say the first chip you eat was the most flavorful and all the rest of them after that don't have as much flavor. You're just going to keep eating until you finally find a chip that's got a lot of flavor in it. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. Now and hit the spot. Now we're done. <laughs> yeah. And unless you stop there, you're just going to be like keep being in this rat race of trying to, uh, you know, find the chip that has the most seasoning on it and makes you feel technically like satisfied to leave. Yeah. I, I've never been able to tell whether I'm really satisfied or whether my body is telling me that I need more food if carbohydrates are in my diet. If carbs are in my diet, it's game over. It it all all it, it it could be a sweet potato, it could be an apple, it could be a potato chip. But if I'm consuming carbs, my body says, "Oh, I'm hungry. Feed me more. Feed me more. Feed me more." Um and and now the, just the way that you explained about how those nutrient receptors is that what you call them? nutrient receptors within your stomach lining, those are tell those are telling you um, what, whether, whether or not you're actually receiving the nutrients that you need, that makes so much sense because if, if you're, if you're not, then it doesn't matter how much you eat, your, your body's going to keep telling you to eat more until it gets what it needs. And in my case, it's meat. If I'm eating, if I'm, if, if I'm eating, uh, ground beef, eggs, chicken, uh, pork products, fish, really any type of meat, um, it, it works. And my body tells me, okay, we're good. And I don't ever need to have carbs to have more energy in the gym or anything. And anytime I do, I just feel more tired and sluggish and inflamed. And, and I actually don't feel like going to the gym. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's definitely so those new weight loss medications, the GLP-1 agonists. Um, the reason that they are, are used is because we have specific cells in our, so we have specific cells in our small intestine, um, or at least down the intestines. And at the top, we have what are called K-cells. And uh, much lower down, we have what are called L-cells, and they produce different hormones. And the only way to actually activate the L-cells is if the food that you eat isn't digested quickly enough, and it will actually make it all the way down your small intestine. Um, so most of the things that we're eating, like um, sugar and things like that, they're absorbed immediately into the, uh, the top, the K-cells, and they don't really um, ever really get in contact with those L-cells. And the thing is that GLP-1 and basically um, a few other, um, I'm not, I, I can't actually name them off the top of my head, but a few other like appetite suppressing hormones are only produced inside of the L cells. So it's like you have to somehow bypass the quick absorption um, at the top of the small intestine and get to the bottom of the small intestine. And really the only way to do that is to eat something like that's rich in amino acids, rich in um, fat can do this because it's a slower digesting or you would have to eat something like a very complex carbohydrate that somehow is, you know, not digested right at the top of your small intestine because most carbohydrates are digested there. Um, and the way that we control our blood sugar is much better, it seems like, in when, you know, something is slower digesting. Um, but the only way you're going to promote this, like, kind of satiety is by eating something like a fat or a protein that will actually make it down all the way down the small intestine. And the only way that these sensors actually get turned on is by actually interacting with the, the nutrients. Um, like these cells interact with the nutrients and then start producing these hormones. So again, that's why the weight loss medications, uh, I think it's called Ozempic. Um, one of the biggest things they're using it for weight loss because it completely, almost completely abolishes someone's appetite if they take too much of it. 
Um, and that's, it's a physiological process that we have inside of our body that we can tap into. But most people eating things that are just digesting super quickly, um, where they're, you know, the reason you get hungry again really quickly is because there's not this process of digestion and actual like true satiety signaling. You're just kind of um, absorbing it really quickly. And then your, your brain is still hungry for the next meal. Right. Hasn't even had time to catch up yet. Totally. What do you, um, do you have any non carnivore foods um, like pl uh, plant, but like uh, cacao butter or like, um anything that's not animal based that uh that, that that you find works for your satiety signals yeah so i'd say the gelatin um that that technically it's animal based um animal based, yeah. maybe the tiny bit of stevia technically doesn't but count, like but, but like nuts or anything um so personally i'm i'm really for some reason i have an odd appetite for just protein itself like i could eat you know white fish all day long and have a blast like um <laughs> so i typically will my diet consists of that gelatin um the eggs and some sort of meat source the only things that i add in like i said are the um i add in things like lemons and limes actually um and i do that actually at the beginning of the meal just to help promote stomach acid um mm -hmm. like just the release of stomach acid um and they've actually this was an interesting study that I came across was that bitter foods can actually help with satiety. So for some reason, um, a lot of times, like, I think it's something to do with the actual, the way that the bitter receptor um, communicates with your brain, but eating something bitter or having a bitter alongside a meal can actually increase your satiety from the meal. Um, I'd have to look back at the study to actually give good details on that. But so eating like a lemon or a lime at the beginning of a meal um, not only helps with the stomach acid, but it kind of promotes like an earlier satiety for me at wow. least. Um, okay, so I have, then, so, the, so the only food I've eaten today was communion, which is technically a carbohydrate. <laughs> so, I'm, so I'm basically fasted, um, but I'm going to try that though. So when I break my fast, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, do it with, with a little bit of lemon juice, probably like in yogurt or something. That's a pretty good combination. Um, and then keto brick and, uh, probably chase it with a bowl of bone broth. That's, um, that, that's, that's a hack that I use for like, whenever you do eat something that, um, does increase your appetite, it's sweetened with stevia. It tastes bomb. It tastes like a candy bar. Right. Um, and so having just like even eight ounces, um, of bone broth afterwards, or like, uh, it could be, it could be ground beef out of the fridge or just like anything really. It's like, Oh, boom. And then, um, it's, it's, and then it shuts off my appetite. So. Let me, let me run this one by you. Um, I think that the reason that happens is because it's not, uh, because when I, when I would, when I would consume something that's sweetened with stevia, um, even like a, even like a sweetened, uh, BCAA beverage or something an artificially sweetened, like with sucralose, um, I've tested it. It doesn't knock me out of ketosis. And so I don't, um, I don't think that there's like an insulin response or anything. Um, and so what I'm thinking is it's a dopamine response to where my, to where, to where my brain chemically is just wanting more of that. Um, and then consuming something that's animal based, um, kind of shuts, kind of shuts that off. Does that make sense? No, definitely. I mean, okay. I, I definitely <laughs> couldn't give you a solid answer on that. Um, but it would be, it would make sense that you have, um, kind of that release. So the way that I've made sense of it is that, um, 
the way that you really feel satiated is obviously through some um, different hormones, but also serotonin is seems to be a big part in that. Um, and one thing that when you increase your levels of dopamine, um, it'll actually decrease your levels of serotonin just slightly. Um, so, and really the only way to actually produce serotonin really is by, through actual nutrients. So it would make sense that um, you increase your dopamine levels a little bit with the artificial sweetener. And then I don't know if you've ever heard of the pleasure pain balance, but basically um, you have a baseline pulse of dopamine. Uh, it's called your tonic dopamine. And every time that you feel what they call like a dopamine hit, it's when you basically um, the pulse rate um, actually just increases for a period of time. Um, but every time that you increase your dopamine, there's a subsequent decrease that doesn't, so you don't come back to your baseline levels. You actually go below baseline for a period of time. Um, and this is why something like addiction, where you have very high levels of dopamine, often leads to depression because you end up suppressing your dopamine so much, just trying to, it's basically like a balance and you're just in this chronic state of low dopamine whenever you're not taking a drug or anything like that because your body is simply trying to restore this pleasure pain balance. Um, so if you do something that, uh, increases your dopamine, you'll get a, a lower feeling, but what this actually triggers is like a craving. So you'll start craving to really anything else that would increase your dopamine. And on top of your mind, you've just, you know, maybe you drink something with sweeteners in it. Mm -hmm. Um, so then you're now that increased your dopamine. And then this puts you in a state of lower dopamine. And what's on your mind now is going to be consuming. So you're going to look for other foods or other things like that to try and raise your dopamine levels again. Um, it's kind of like, uh, you know, putting yourself in a more likely state to actually crave more food, if that makes any sense, because you gave yourself this, you know, increased kind of reward sensation, but you didn't match it with the subsequent like satiety. A hundred percent. When, 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 I, when I got someone on my meal plan, my whole goal is to get them to stop eating carbs and to stop eating all this stuff that I know is damaging their body, right? So that they can, so, so they can eat what their body needs. Um, my hesitation from having anybody, uh, most people, most people that come to us expect to go cold turkey and just quit everything. And that's why they hired a coach. So like, Hey, I just need someone to help me get, to help get me through this <laughs> because especially if um, letting go of carbs is something that they're particularly concerned about. Right. And that's what, and that's what a coach is for. Um, but any, any, any more, I'm, I'm really having to put myself in, in people's shoes and go, okay, how important are carbs to you? Like, what's your, if, if I, if I said tomorrow you're done eating carbs and, and, and you're not, and you're not having them for 30 days, what's your gut reaction to that? If, if they, if they, if they hesitate, I'm not pulling carbs out right away just because of what you described, because I know it's going to be tough on them. And it's, and, and the way that you just explained about how, how the dopamine response works now, it all makes a lot more sense because a lot of people just can't handle going cold Turkey. Um, and, and, and a lot, and a lot of people really do need to make it a gradual transition. And that might look like uh, kind of shifting towards paleo first. And so now we're cleaning up all your, all your carb sources and having more fats and then going from there to keto and then letting the last few things go to, to, to make that gap to where you're uh, pretty much meat based with the exception of whatever you know for sure works for you and what doesn't work for you. Um, another thing on, 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 on addictions, well, since we're talking about this, 
is uh, I think that I've been experiencing that uh, the last couple of weeks since cutting caffeine. Um, cause I've had cat cause I've been, I don't think I've had a single day without caffeine for, I mean, for se- for several years now. Um, but at my highest, it was around 500 milligrams to even as much as a thousand milligrams a day. Um, not this competition competition season, but the one before that, just to be able to feel normal, like just to be able to be myself. Um, and so I didn't realize how serious of an addiction it was until I, until I did cut it cold Turkey and people weren't lying when they were saying that you're going to go through some serious withdrawal symptoms. And they're like, you're going to feel like a new person. And I was like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll see, you know, like I've, I've, I've been through worse, whatever. I didn't realize what I was in for, man. Uh, mornings were rough for a while, feeling a lot better now. Um, and seeing a lot more of the benefits of not having caffeine, like better muscle pumps, better sleep, better blood flow. Um, so yeah, I can totally relate to everything you just said. That really t- that really brings things together big picture now. I think that, I mean, I've got so many comments on the caffeine thing. So um, for some reason, you've hit on the two subjects that I really like. I've written things on and done a lot of research. in. <laughs> I just um, read your mind, bro. <laughs> so at least in terms of caffeine, there's a few different, you know, pathways about kind of the caffeine addiction. So um, definitely, I'm not sure the exact effects on your dopamine that caffeine has, but it does actually increase the amount of dopamine receptors that you have. So um, it basically increases your sensitivity to dopamine, which in this way, it act- could actually be a benefit. Um, but there's definitely things like um, they found that giving people a lot of caffeine for just seven weeks, just seven days straight, um, they actually stop producing as much cortisol, um, which is actually one of the reasons that you feel um you know, so awake and alert when you have caffeine, you produce, um, you actually start producing less cortisol. So you get less of the alerting signal um, from caffeine, the longer that you're on it. But also, so the way that caffeine really, one of the bigger mechanisms with caffeine is it binds to what's called an adenosine receptor. And this is a receptor that typically binds a molecule of adenosine. And this is what makes you feel really, really tired. So Adenosine is produced just as a byproduct of using energy. So ATP is actually converted into adenosine. So technically, the more energy that you're using, the more adenosine that you'll produce. Um, And it'll bind to the receptor, and this causes you to feel, like, very tired. Um, And at night, you'll have the most adenosine, and in the morning, you'll have the least. Um, But what caffeine does is it binds to this receptor and doesn't let this communication happen. So it's basically just stopping that tiredness signal um, throughout the day. And then once the caffeine wears off, this is why you get the crash because you've accumulated all this adenosine and it'll quickly bind to the receptor and you'll get like this mid-afternoon crash and start yeah. feeling sleepy. Yeah, dude, be, uh, be, because without caffeine, the mornings suck, man. Like they really, really suck. Like they haven't in a long time. But then I'll find myself super productive and motivated the rest of the day. And I have all this energy that I didn't used to have back to when I did used to have caffeine in the mornings. Yeah, so that's why your your energy is probably going to be much more stable. So you don't have the, this adenosine kind of accumulating in the background. Um, so Sorry, you still have the adenosine, but it gradually accumulates throughout the day like it normally would instead of this caffeine blocking the adenosine. And then just oh. randomly when the, when the caffeine wears off, all these adenosine receptors are now open. And you have all this adenosine that's actually accumulated. So you might not technically be more tired in the afternoon, 
but it feels much worse because it's this massive crash of, you know, um, all this adenosine binding to the receptor at one time because the metabol- uh, the caffeine is metabolizing and wearing off. And then the way that your brain actually adapts to caffeine, so the reason that you keep having to use more is because without this signaling, you'll actually begin to create more adenosine receptors. So let's say at baseline you have 100 receptors and caffeine binds to all the receptors. Um, like 200 milligrams of caffeine would bind to all the receptors. What your, what your body does, because it's so amazing, is it will increase the number of adenosine receptors in your, uh, on your brain. So maybe, you know, you'll have 150 now. And 50 of those receptors can now be taken up by the adenosine molecule. So now you'll be getting the promoting signal of adenosine on your sleep um, at the same time that caffeine is trying to inhibit it because you're actually upregulating the amount of available receptors to um, for the adenosine to bind to. And then once you completely omit the caffeine, you'll still have a lot more adenosine receptors. So you'll basically have upregulated your sensitivity to this adenosine molecule. So in the morning or throughout the day, you'll probably just have a stronger satiety signal coming in because you have more receptors. And the more receptors you have, the easier it is for them to be bound to. So basically caffeine, when you're drinking caffeine, it's um, upregulating this process, but you probably won't notice it because you're masking it with the caffeine. But once you completely take the caffeine out, you'll have almost like a enhanced ability to feel tired because you have more of these tiredness receptors. In your brain. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's like it's like I'm super sluggish first thing in the morning because I because I don't have that kick and that and that motivation to to go crush a workout um, halfway through the workout. I noticed that my performance is better because my, 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 my coaches had always actually um, tried to get me off of caffeine. They're, they were like, you'll have a better workout without caffeine. And I was like, I can't even imagine working out without caffeine. And so um, not, yeah, now what I'm noticing is better blood flow, uh, better pumps. Uh, I feel stronger and I just have an overall uh, better sense of well-being and less anxiety throughout the day. Yeah, my sense about the, my thoughts around at least the morning tiredness is actually so, a lot of times they tell you not to drink caffeine immediately in the morning because you'll still have some of this adenosine floating around. Mm-hmm. So it basically gets flushed out during the night, but you know, your your brain isn't on this perfect rhythm like you are. So um, there might be some residual adenosine left over. Um, but then again, because you've been drinking caffeine for so long, you have more of these receptors. So there's going to be a lot more to flush out. So the likelihood that there's going to be still a little adenosine left when you wake up immediately in the morning is probably much higher because you were drinking a lot of caffeine beforehand. Um, so this morning tiredness is likely because you just haven't completely flushed out all the adenosine. So you still have this kind of stick, this background signal or background noise of um, kind of promoting sleep. And then once that is completely flushed out, you'll get the energy that you're talking about and feel you know, extremely energized for the rest of the day. And then, uh, you know, you'll slowly accumulate the adenosine naturally so you won't feel any dips in energy. And then uh, at the end of the night, you'll have high, high levels of adenosine and you'll fall right to sleep. That makes so much more sense now. Yeah, because it, because then there's, there, there's um, because, the, because the mornings are basically just like you described. And then when it gets up to late at night, like I'll be, 
I'll be I'll be writing I'll be writing work on plans still, and then I'll go out into this in, in, into the shop and be packaging up orders and uh, making uh, make, making deltoid desolators, which is our skull cable attachment. And then I'm, I'm like coming back inside to kiss the kids goodnight, and then my wife and kids are all, all already asleep. I'm like, what the heck? It's ten o'clock at night. Wow, where did that time go? <laughs> and then the morning, it's like, oh, here we go again. <laughs> So, uh, but but I've but I've noticed a trend upward in the in the right direction though, and so I guess what 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 you're what you're saying is that that's to be temporary, um, because of, because I just haven't fully made that transition yet. I guess I, I should tell you I was also going from about three hundred milligrams a day, um, eventually down to the last couple of weeks we're at two hundred milligrams. And then I was like, eh, enough of this garbage. I'm just gonna cut. I'm just gonna go straight from two hundred to zero. Yeah. So um, I'm not. I get then. You know, I can't give you definite answers, but it does sound like it's kind of just a slower recovery process because of overusing caffeine for so long. It's kind of like um, Robert robbing Peter to pay Paul, like yeah. the price that you that, you know, what you were doing yesterday is now going to, um, you know, cause this impact today that you're just trying to kind of recover from. Same thing with that whole dopamine system is mm -hmm. your brain will actually upregulate, you know, certain things so that when you're in this state of very high dopamine, you'll, um, you know, you'll actually downregulate the amount of dopamine receptors you have. So high dopamine causes you to downregulate the receptors. So even though you have high dopamine, you're technically not going to be sensing it as much. And again, this is just a, a physiological response to try and find homeostasis in a, in something that's non-physiological. And caffeine itself is not something that we've ever really had to deal with. So. Um, it's kind of like a response to get back to what is technically normalcy when you're drinking a ton of caffeine by, you know, increasing this, you know, because caffeine is only increasing your wakefulness, the body has a reactive response to increase your ability to feel tired so you can get to sleep on time. And then once you pull out that, you know, um, kind of, I guess, fake um, wakefulness chemical being caffeine, then um, you still have to deal with this extra tiredness signal that you have that you've kind of built up so it's just a process of letting your body because now you're probably going to be in a state that's you know abnormally tired so for a period of time you'll be in that and then your body will respond by getting back to normal again if that makes any sense wow that does make a ton of sense dude i so respect your time and i uh, really want to wrap this up for that reason but one more thing i got for you too um i experienced a lot of water retention what do you think could have been the cause of that? From caffeine? From cutting caffeine. Or from... So yeah. Oh, what I, I could. So what, I could I, not yeah, tell cause, you. Well, okay, because my my my, the my theory is that it's a it's a diuretic, right? And so I was it, just about to. I was going <laughs> to say that is just the diuretic effect of caffeine. Um, I'm not sure if you've built up if or if it's a thing, but you may have somehow built up, um, you know, an enhanced ability to. Um, retain water to maintain normal fluid balance because of all the caffeine you're drinking. Um, so it kind of stopped having that diuretic effect. And then once you pulled it out, you continue to, this is the same reason that you would do something like water loading, where you drink a lot of water. And then like for two days, you might drink, you know, two gallons of water. And then on day three, you'd only drink a gallon. But because your body's still expecting to um, intake the two gallons, you'll basically urinate out about two gallons of water or what you would normally urinate if you're drinking a lot of water. And this is how people get ab or like a natural diuretic effect because 
they excrete more water than they're actually taking in because their body is expecting to have more water intake. So this might be just you, kind you, of a... You just explained my my, my, my peaking protocol for bodybuilders. <laughs> yeah, I did that. I did that with one of... You just I did pound water like friends. crazy and then stop. And then you just keep peeing because your body hasn't figured it out yet. <laughs> and you got about Absolutely. 24 hours where your abs look great. <laughs> yeah, I did that with one of my friends um, to get a picture for his before and after picture. I was like, yeah. all right, we're going to do. And I made it sound really cool. Um, I was like, we're going to do a water load. So he was drinking about <laughs> a gallon and a half of water for two days straight. Or actually, I think for him, it, he really enjoyed it for some reason. So. I think he did it for three or four days straight and then we pulled back his water and I think he ended up losing um, like maybe five to seven pounds in the, just over the span of that day because he just kept urinating out what his body was expecting and he wasn't giving it to his body. So um, he lost a lot of water weight and that's, that's what I was thinking about. um, Like because cat you're drinking so much caffeine your body kind of just learned how to um, retain more water in order to not get dehydrated from all the caffeine. And then you ended up pulling out the caffeine and your body was still expecting this, um, you know, dehydration to be caused by the caffeine all day. And since you no longer have that, you're still kind of holding on to water for a period of time. And has it worn off? Um, let's see. No, I'm, I'm still... Let's see. I went from when I when I cut caffeine, I think I was about 204, 205 and I jumped all the way up to 208 when I uh when I after I cut. And I'm back down now to um I think this morning I was 206. So, I think it's headed in, in the right direction. And my um and my macros are all have all been basically the same because I don't want to I don't want to titrate them down too quickly um uh, because I don't want a stress response and also cutting caffeine has been a bit tougher than I thought it would be. So the last thing my body needs is any additional stressors on top of moving and on top of the other life stressors, right? We all have them. <laughs> um, and so anyway, I guess what I'm trying to say is uh, nothing has changed in my diet to cause me to really need to um, to sit to signal muscle burning or, uh, or excuse me, muscle building or fat storage. Um, so it was definitely water weight. Yeah, I mean, and it could definitely be just, you know, you have almost like some built up anxiety about the next day knowing that, because it, you know, you're, you kind of know that you're going to have this very kind of groggy morning. So it could just be some built up anxiety causing you to produce a little extra cortisol and um, increase your water retention just because you're kind of like, oh man, I have to suffer through this hour, hour long period in the morning where I feel like death. And then for the rest of the day, I'm great. So it could just be, you know, even like, especially right before bed thinking about the next morning you might be like oh man this is going to be bad and which is just increases your cortisol a little bit and will cause that you know food retention that's typically correlated with that mm-hmm. that makes that makes a lot of sense and the only other thing is you know i wouldn't say that you're 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 gaining fat or anything but it could just be you know without the caffeine you might have a, a small decrease in your caloric expenditure just because you don't have as much energy maybe your needs going down you know you're just not fidgeting as much but you know, that again, the two pounds is really, it sounds like just probably water weight from um, maybe some increased stress. And obviously there's a ton of other um, factors that could be contributing to it. So, yeah, good stuff, man. Have you, have you ever heard the saying drinking caffeine is robbing tomorrow's energy for today? Yeah, absolutely. And it really, I would say 
Um, especially if you get in uh, what I uh, what I call the caffeine sandwich, is where you drink. So like you wake up in the morning and you feel terrible, so you drink a lot of caffeine, and then you get that afternoon crash, so you drink some more caffeine, and then this impacts your sleep, so you don't sleep as well, and then the next morning you wake up and you feel even more tired because you didn't get sleep. So then you decide to drink more caffeine. And it kind of is this cycle of getting less sleep and having to drink more caffeine. So um, really a lot of times, and it's, it's, it's something that's so, you know, normal to everyone, like just drinking caffeine. So it oftentimes you don't really realize how much you're drinking until you like actually look at it. Um, like I've had times where I just, like unconsciously have increased the amount of coffee I was drinking just because I mean, sometimes it's just because I like the flavor of coffee a little bit. Um, but so it's like an unconscious thing, but at some point you may look at it and be like, wow, I've been drinking 300 milligrams of caffeine for the last month. So you try and, you know, come down from that. And there is a process of trying to, you basically built up that your new normal is 300 milligrams of caffeine. And if it's impacting your sleep and basically in, impacting all your circadian functions, then when you pull it out, not only is are you going to have this increased tiredness signal, but if you're, you're if you're getting poor sleep and masking it with caffeine, now you can't mask it with caffeine anymore. So you'll see that, you know, oh, I'm also getting six hours of sleep now. So I would say one of the best ways to get off of caffeine is to try and just, like, let's say you're drinking a cup of coffee in the morning and a cup of coffee in the afternoon, just slowly, you know, you can even drink the exact same amount, but taking that coffee from noon and putting it in the morning. So making the time that you stop caffeine much earlier, much earlier. So trying to inhibit it from impacting your sleep. And then gradually, once you've gotten it down to like, you know, all your caffeine at one time, then from there, you'll start reducing the amount of caffeine. Um, and try and do this alongside making sure that you're getting more and more sleep. Um, so just as like dial in your sleep. And then at that point, you can really try and just hold down the amount of caffeine that you're taking. In. Wow. Where, where were you three weeks ago when I needed you? <laughs> no, I'm sure you've got your coach. I, I'm, I'm, I bet he's got it. Got you dialed in. <laughs> you're, 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 you're looking at, you're, you're, you're looking at my coach. <laughs> No, I'd say I'd say that most of my most of my clients are my coaches, man. I learn more from them than than I than I do than I do from anybody else. Is actually yeah, a, certainly like yeah. Jo Jordan's been on our show a couple of times, and she's been actually really really helping me with the caffeine thing too because she's cutting it too. Yeah, and I mean, I I think I've I've gotten inspiration from people that I work with to like look into things deeper. Um, yeah. like they come with a problem, and it's like, oh, this is actually pretty interesting. Like. It's not something that applies to my life, but it might apply to your life. Um, like, I think the best example is my mom, actually. So she had, she's having, she was having just a difficult time um, getting in the amount of steps that she needed every day. Because um, I, I recommended to get her, or for her to get 10,000 because um, it's kind of a, a, a reasonable goal for her. And I realized um, just kind of looking in to all the different times that we spend, um, kind of doing nothing and all the ways that you can increase your step count and, you know, get more activity while also getting stuff done. So 100%. Um, like I have her, so she doesn't go to the gym at all um, just because she doesn't have a membership and she really isn't all too interested in getting one. But I have her every morning or every day 
actually accumulate little what I call micro workouts. So she oh, has a goal dude. at the end. Of, she has a goal at the end of the day of getting like 50 push-ups, um, you know, a certain amount of lunges, a certain amount of squats, and she can do it in however she wants. She can do, you know, two push-ups every 30 minutes and accumulate that's a, throughout that's the day. A, that's a lot more natural to the human body for, for it to operate that way instead of going to the gym. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So she can get like, you know, maybe five push-ups whenever she has time. Or um, so I have her, you know, any time that she's just kind of sitting there, you know, maybe between emails at work, she's waiting for a response or something. I was like, yeah, just get up and, you know, take a few steps or do something like that. <laughs> Mind Pump had a good episode on that not too long ago. They're, they were talking about studies basically saying that um, even if like German volume training, just because it's a really simple example, right? 10 sets of 10. And, and that, that could be bench press. It could be squats, whatever. Um, they, they've, they've done studies where there's no difference in muscle growth between whether you do them all within a certain period of time, or if you do uh, one set and then an hour later, do another set and then an hour later, do another set. It doesn't really, your, your rest times have much less to do with the fact that you just did that exercise X number of times throughout the day. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I'm not sure the exact, uh, that's something that I want to look into and start, uh, you know, doing some more research and maybe uh, film some podcasts on, but definitely like um, just the idea of getting blood flow throughout the entire day. So like, let's say a lot of times I actually re recommend to people to do like an upper body exercise followed by a lower body exercise. Mm -hmm. um, and this is for someone that's not like extremely interested in like maximizing every ounce of hypertrophy, but doing something upper body and then lower body because you'll basically, let's say you're working out your chest, you'll shunt blood into your chest and there will be more blood there. And then once you go to your lower body, you have to shunt more blood down to your lower body. And this actually takes energy and it's mm -hmm. a, not, you know, it's not crazy. You're not going to burn an extra thousand calories, but um, just the process of getting blood from, you know, the top of your body to your, you know, your lower, uh, your lower limbs. Um, it, you know, it takes a little bit of extra energy and let's say you're sitting all day, just briefly getting up and doing maybe like a leg workout where you, you know, have to push blood into your legs and then, um, doing something that's for your upper body where you'll, uh, push blood into your, you know, your upper body. Not only are you improving your, just your circulation in general, so you're going to be increasing the, you know, waste product removal from muscle cells. Um, but you're also just going to be kind of it's like a, a tiny increase in your metabolism and um, increase in your blood flow. And, you know, it has downstream effects of really just improving your overall blood flow and have that tiny metabolic boost. Brilliant, 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 brilliant. Dude, like I said, I respect your time. And uh, more so than that, I respect your mom's time too. <laughs> and I know that you guys have some plans today. And uh, my wife is also a mother, obviously. And so, um, Absolutely. As much as I hated, much as I hated booking this on Mother's Day and didn't even realize that I did <laughs> when, we, when we when we put it in our calendars a couple of days ago, I think yeah, we should I, just I, time with them. Yeah, I didn't even realize it until I think this Friday when I was you know looking at the calendar and uh, the <laughs> Google Calendar has Mother's Day in it, and I was like, oh god. I know. I heard it on the radio early last week, and I was like, crap. I totally have meetings that day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I so so unfortunately one of the weird things about me is like, uh, I have an odd ability to remember things about like nutrition and stuff like that. But my, 
like memory for dates and direction. <laughs> Dude, okay, you are definitely talking to the same person just on the other side of the United States, man. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, that's like, me. <laughs> like I, I couldn't back out of my driveway without a GPS. It, it, it's pretty bad. So, um, yeah. I, I think it kind of just shows that I, you know I really definitely am interested in the topic of health and nutrition. So. Bro, um, okay, really so, my so, so are you the kind of guy to where it's like, when you focus on something, just like you forget about everything else in your peripheral, and there could be like an emergency happening, and unless someone comes and says, look, there's an emergency, you're just like so buried in your own work that, <laughs> is, is that yeah, kind of how operates? Kind of, it's kind of like the, uh, I don't know if you've ever looked into the research on flow, where it's like, um, it's it's almost like losing your sense of time, like your perception of time. Yeah. And you, you get a task done with such like accuracy and you don't even realize, like you just go through the movements almost naturally. I think I get that a lot of time. It's a flow in the zone. Yeah. And I get that a lot of times when I'm writing and when I'm like, um, trying to learn something new, it'll be like just this random flush of finally putting everything together. And I'll kind of get into like this state where I'm, um, synthesizing content and, um, you know, putting it into simpler terms. And then I'll look back on it and I'll be like, I didn't even remember writing that. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, well, it, you know, it's great information. I'll use it. So um, Yeah, you just get ideas that start coming out of nowhere. Thing. And you got to capitalize yeah. on those because if you don't write them down, they're gone forever. <laughs> yeah, and I think I get into that state a lot. So, um, and I mean, it, it, it's definitely, uh, I think, a neurochemical thing too because, Luckily, I, no one in my family really has any issues with, like, ADHD or anything like that. Um, and I think that's one of the big things where the reason people get ADHD is because they simply, like, can't focus their attention on a single thing. And uh, I think I have a really good ability to dial in on one thing. And unfortunately, sometimes that means blocking out everything else. So, um, you know, sometimes I need someone to snap me out of it. But um, I think yeah, bro, that's, 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 that's what my wife is for. She brings me back to reality when I get too far into a project. <laughs> yeah, like in school, I'll actually put on, uh, I'm way too into this sometimes. Like I'll put on specific, what are called binaural beats. And it puts your brain in basically, it kind of sets up your brain to um, basically be in a specific brainwave state that, you know, uh, influences your ability to get into this flow state. Um, so sometimes when I'm writing, I'll actually put in these binaural beats and, um, is it I like can a, go is it like a playlist or what? No, it literally is like a, it's like a two hour soundtrack of just, um, it, it, it's not, it's not like pleasant music. It's not something you'd listen to with your friends. Yeah, no, I, um, I know what you're talking about. I do, I do the same thing. It's, it's, it's just like, it's just background noise. It's not even music. There's like maybe like some birds or something in it sometimes. And it's just kind of like yeah. a weird, like Zen kind of like meditation flow, but, but it gets you so focused and in the, in, in, in the zone though. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how, that's how I do basically um, whenever I'm trying to do a big project for writing, um, I just go on YouTube and I look up like flow binaural beats and, uh, I think the if you you're looking for it, the one has like a pink cover or something like that. It's like two hours long, um, and I click on it. And We're probably just, listening to I, the same one, actually. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I just I get into the zone, and that's where um, really all of my big publications or writings have come from. Was like yeah. like I can remember specific days where I was in school with this like soundtrack in, and probably wrote between 
two and three thousand words just in about an hour and a half. Like it just kept going like that. Mm-hmm. Um, for for children for children that um, that that struggle with autism, a lot of times what they'll recommend is is or, or prescribe is uh, headphones that basically just have that playing. And so when they get dysregulated or just kind of out of out out, out of their own head. Um, it kind of brings them back to a state to where they can focus on, you know, just simple day-to-day things. Yeah. Interestingly, for something like ADHD, all the medications actually increase your levels of dopamine. Um, because it's it's almost like um dopamine can kind of increase your ability to find a reward in the environment. So it gives you that motivation to like look for it. So when you have an increased level of dopamine, it seems like you can really find that reward and focus in on it much better than if you had lower dopamine. Um, Cause it's almost like dopamine kind of is telling your brain what is and isn't important to focus on. And if you don't ha- really have any of this transduction, you're not going to find value in anything. So then everything becomes appealing because there's not a specific thing that you're focused on. So it's kind of like um, you, you, you can't really coordinate what is important to invest energy in and what isn't. So, you know, you might start writing and then, uh, you know, start thinking about video games and start thinking about something else just because, you know, and I'm not sure, you know, how practical this is for most people, but um, trying to do things that would increase your dopamine levels could definitely help. Wow. All right. Well, it actually, it looks like my dad is coming home, so it might be a little bit loud. So <laughs> yeah, bro, I'll, I'll let you go, man. Hey, for whatever it's worth, tell both of your parents that Colt Milton is proud of you. Wow. Yeah, uh, everybody listening, make sure you follow this guy, support everything he does. Uh, where can people go to find you, bro? Yeah, so uh, I'm on Instagram at Calvin underscore Scheller. Um, I have my podcast. It's um, very intelligently named the Calvin Scheller podcast, so it should be pretty easy to find. <laughs> um and yeah really all my social medias are just going to be my name um and then i think my youtube is just calvin scheller so um i'm posting everywhere on there and i'm as active as possible if you dm me or message me put a comment in the comment section i'll respond to absolutely everything um so and i guess if for some reason email is your best bet it's just my name at gmail.com so um, I'd love for everyone to reach out to me. Um, oh, I'm trying yeah. to help as many people as possible, and I've got a pretty open schedule at this point with being a being a, a high schooler. So, if you want to reach out and want some help, I'd love to help. <laughs> That's amazing, bro. Uh, I wish you all the success in the world. I'm praying for you big time on that, man. Seriously. All right, I'm totally in your corner. Let's 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 make this a regular thing. You are welcome back on this show anytime. Okay. Absolutely, I'll get you on my show. Let's do next weekend if you have time. Uh, I definitely don't have next time, uh, time next weekend because we'll, we'll be moving that weekend. <laughs> uh, yeah. As soon as we get back in, you're the you're the first guy on my calendar. Okay, I'm coming on your show for sure. You got it. Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining us again for this entire episode. If you found this helpful or entertaining, which I am sure that you did, please shoot this over to a friend because this is a very very powerful testimony that really needs to be told. I think this can bring hope to a lot of people that are strug- that are struggling in their health journeys. Um, As of this week, Jonathan Griffiths from the UK, Mark Ennis from Ireland, and I have all launched a new podcast called Carnivore Coaches Corner. If you haven't heard about that one already, this is a collaboration in which two other primal nutrition, lifestyle, and bodybuilding coaches who have much more experience and credentials than I do meet weekly to discuss frequently asked questions from our own one-on-one consultations 
discuss trending topics in the carnivore space, and coach each other on our own journeys as competitive athletes. We've been going live on YouTube for a few months now and are three episodes into the new show. You can find us by searching Carnivore Coaches Corner on Spotify. We're going to be on other platforms too, but it takes a lot of work and a lot of time uh, to get those uploaded. So we are working on the other platforms too, uh, Apple in particular. Don't worry. Email your questions to admin at supersetyourlife.com to hear your question answered at our next session. That's it. Thanks everybody again so much for joining. God bless. We'll catch you on the next episode.